As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about Pepsi points. And I'll be talking about a home invasion. Ooh. <laughs> Should we start by oh describing our we surroundings? Ha- I have to move this mic right now. First I of all, am, I can't handle this. Okay, describe it. Okay. So I, we are recording, it's, it's a let's go to court after dark, and I got a text at work this evening uh-huh. that we would be recording at the new home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where we've never recorded before and there is no furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and why did I insist on recording? Uh, because the air conditioner is out at the old house. For those keeping track. That means at the old house that we're getting ready to put on the market, there is no toilet and no air conditioning. And it's 92 degrees in Kansas City right now. Uh, So, yeah, we're at the new house. We have our laptops on TV trays. We're in my office. It looks. It's nice. Well, this it will be where we podcast from, but it's real um, rough. It's in a state. Should we plug those? Sure. What are hey, those over those there? Are, I, I've never seen the display of the Gaming Historian t-shirts. Get yours now at thegaminghistorian.com for the low, low price of $10. That's right. $10. Wait a second. Why are we plugging his stuff when know, we've got a plug- Patreon? I know. Hey, actually, if you're thinking about spending yeah. $10, forget the fucking t-shirt. <laughs> Head on over to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up for our Patreon. Things that happen immediately when you sign up for the Patreon. Discord, if you're on the five, if you're on the appellate level or the Supreme Court level. And it's super fun. We're having a blast in there. And for all the other levels. You get to vote on topics. You yep. get to talk about stuff in, that I can't even fucking see because Kristen refuses to give me the <laughs> Patreon password. Okay, my little book of passwords <laughs> is right over there. I will give you the password you to the guys, Patreon. She could be saying terrible things about me in the Patreon and I would have no idea. Here's the truth about Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> all all right. right. Enough of this. Enough. I'm sick of it. I don't want to talk about this bullshit anymore. Please sign up for the Patreon. (laughs) Okay. Should we talk about what happened this week when we went to try and do official stuff? (laughs) Oh, my God. It has been at the back of my mind nonstop 
How do I bring this up in a way to embarrass you? Okay, so with the Patreon, we now have to be official big girls and like go get a bank account for the Patreon or for the for the podcast. And so we 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 got our LLC all set up. We are the proud owners of Juvenile Bigfoot Productions LLC. (laughs) And so along with that, we went to go open our bank account. And so we're. The other day we met, we went downtown to go to the bank, to go up with the bank account. And we're like walking along, mm-hmm. feeling very proud of ourselves for yes. our uh, big girl moves. And then across the crosswalk was a very happy little corgi. He was beautiful. And I lost my fucking mind. I was like, I looked at Kristen and I was like, oh, look at the corgi. I was so excited. Kristen got excited. You know, we all know how much I love dogs. The owner of the corgi heard me uh-huh. get very excited. And so as we're going through the crosswalk, she's approaching it and she's like, he's very friendly. You can pet him. And as I went to step <laughs> onto the curb, I got my flip flop. You mean your flippy my floppy? My flippy floppy caught on a rock and I had to lift my <laughs> other foot up to kind of stabilize myself and I kicked the poor corgi right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Winston. It was the best. Winston forgave me. He let me pet him and he jumped up on my leg. He knew it was an accident and he knew the true contents of my heart. And he did not hold that incident against me. I've never seen you look done. I've never seen you look so horrified. I was horrified. I kicked a dog in the face. You would rather kick a human in the face. I would. much rather kick a human in the face than a dog damn i was gonna like bring that incident up to surprise and shock our audience but you just started it off i i have not stopped thinking about it um i am wondering if the owner saw it happen of course she saw it happen you think Brandy, you kicked the dog in the face. <laughs> she was like, i thought maybe you i thought you guys were kind of in conversation no, and no. she might have missed no it. no it happened very fast, Kristen. It did. I mean, it was a swift kick to the dog's face. <laughs> Poor Winston. Anyway, Winston forgave me for sure. Yeah, yeah. He'll never love again. But that's fine. <laughs> no, he forgave me. Anyway, I accidentally kicked a dog in the face and it was horrifying. And I've not stopped thinking about it since. It's been a week. It's been a week. It's been a long week. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about a home invasion? I do. Okay, so here's something really interesting. This case is like a little gift to myself that I did at some point, and I don't even know how. So I went out of town this weekend, and we did a girls trip with Lisa's family. It was very fun. Went to Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and I got back. I pulled up my computer, and I went to, like, try and, you know, look for some ideas for cases. And I hit something, and, like, my bookmarks came up. Which I swear I'd never use. Uh-huh. And there were like a couple of articles that I had bookmarked. And so I clicked on one. I have no recollection of ever bookmarking it. I definitely had never read it before. And it is the fucking most amazing article I've re- ever read in my life. It is a case from start to finish. Like, I didn't need... I I pulled one other source. But really, like, this is... This case is 97% me retelling this article. It is by Skip Hollinsworth. Jason Fagone. Oh. Or Fagone. Okay. F A G O N E for the Washingtonian. 
Okay. So what you're saying is Jesus intervened. <laughs> Jesus took the wheel. Uh-huh. And I don't even know how this is possible because I never read this article ever. And somehow it was bookmarked on my computer. Okay. Okay. It's 6.15 p.m. on November 9th, 2014. We're in McLean, Virginia, which is, I think it's very confusing over here. (laughs) Because, you know, it's like Washington, D.C. I don't know if this is considered a suburb of Washington, Uh D.C. or what. It's very close to Washington, D.C. And this case was covered by the Washingtonian. So somewhere near Washington, D.C. Okay. Anyway. Sue Duncan was making chicken for dinner. It was roasting away in the oven when she heard the doorbell ring. Her husband, Leo, got up and went to answer it. Sue and Leo were both in their early 60s, and they were a popular couple. They did lots of things with friends, but they also liked to be homebodies. And, and, you know, um, they were a very close couple. They um, had a very happy marriage they and they called each other by all kinds of different nicknames like they rarely called each other sue or leo Mm -hmm. um they called each other muffin and pup and dill and g and oftentimes uh, even a nickname for a nickname like leo would call sue muffy short for muffin so they were very into nicknames and should we pause and talk about yes okay so my parents, <laughs> my parents call each other Muffin, have for mm-hmm. many years. And finally, Kyla and I, a long time ago, tried to put a stop to it by saying, hey, guys, it's just a heads up. It's vagina. It's, yeah, you're totally calling each other vaginas. Yes. They accused us of being gross. They said that that was some, like, hip slang that no one uses. Until Betty White. Yes. Is that the thing? That's the thing. I remember that sketch so clearly. Betty White was on SNL, and she talked about her dusty muffin, and that was the moment when my mom was like, okay, this is not just some sick thing the girls think is... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I have a side story along with that. (laughs) Oh, I love your muffin story. (laughs) Okay. You know this about me. I've never admitted this on the podcast, but I used to love... The restaurant Mimi's Cafe. And why is that embarrassing to admit, Brandy? Because it's for old ladies. It's it is the exclusively old, yeah, it is the old lady restaurant. Yeah. But let me tell you about this meal that I always <laughs> got there. I fucking loved this meal. Okay. You got a grilled chicken breast, mm-hmm. a green salad, mm-hmm. melon, grapes, half an orange, and a muffin. Brandy. Like these giant delicious baked muffins you have described a retirement village (laughs) meal no and you paid for that it was so delicious so delicious so my grandma charlotte when whenever like the two of us would go out to dinner we'd almost always go to mimi's because she loved it i loved it when we'd go to lunch whatever so she liked to go see shows at the community college and so Mm -hmm. i would appease her and go to them with her and I hated them but I went to be nice mm-hmm. one of them like ended up being an opera and I nearly stabbed my eardrums out <laughs> but 
It was fine. I survived. Anyway, so on that particular night that we went to this opera, we went to Mimi's first and my grandma got a similar meal to mine. I think instead of chicken, it came with a quiche. Anyway. Right. She got her muffin to go. I like to eat my muffin with my meal. (laughs) Stop. Because it was like dessert. Right. So she got hers to go. We went to we left Mimi's. We went to the show. We get back into her car after the show, and she says, Mmm, <laughs> can you smell my muffin? I sure can. <laughs> and I nearly fucking died. <laughs> Why? Was that a lot for you to handle? It was, because yeah. I couldn't laugh, and I couldn't tell her what that fucking sounded like. Uh-huh. And so I, I kept it all inside. <laughs> And that's why you laugh so much today. That's right. Yeah, you can trace it you back to that. You were never a laugher I wasn't. before, before that. then. I never laughed. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. So they like nicknames. They call each other Muffy and Pie. She calls him Pie a lot. Oh, okay. Like this... it's short for it's short for Sweetie Pie. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, I mean, one would hope. Why would you need a nickname for a nickname, though? Is what I'm asking. Anyway, so the doorbell rings. Sue's in the kitchen. Leo gets up, goes to the door. He opens it like just a little bit. And what happened next happened like in a split second. There was a man standing outside the door. He had a long jacket on and he shoved the door open and he fired a taser at Leo's chest. The two darts from the taser stuck into his sweater that he had on and he immediately fell to the floor writhing in pain the man then pushed his way into the house he took zip ties out of his pocket and he bound leo at the hands and the feet and then um he turned to seuss she came like running in from the kitchen and he said i'm with the virginia sec and i'm arresting your husband sec sec security and exchange commission Oh, okay thank you and he flashed a badge Mm-mm. very quickly, but immediately Sue was like, in her mind, she didn't say this out loud, she knew something was up because there is no Virginia SEC. Mm-hmm. There's only the federal uh-huh. SEC. And so she starts to back up. She realizes that there's something going on here. Right. She starts to back away. Um, and at this point, he had like a hat kind of pulled down over his face. He's wearing like Velcro sneakers and flashing that badge very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, Sue is very nervous. And Leo is still on the floor. He's now bound. But he manages to say... Why are you here? Yeah. And the man says, do you know who the Knights Templar are? (gasps) And Leo says, yeah, they're a crusading group from like the 12th century. And the man says, no, they're a drug cartel. And you sent an email putting a hit on somebody in that cartel for $370,000. What? Yeah. And he's like, Leo's like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Leo is an attorney and a managing shareholder at Bean, Kinney, and 
Corman, which is like an Arlington, Virginia law firm. Okay. It's like a big deal firm. They handle trademark and copyright cases. And they're constantly putting hits putting out hits on, on the drug cartel. Drug cartel, yeah. And so the, Leo's like, sure that this guy has the wrong house. He's confused about something. And he's like, who is it that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. My name is Leo Fisher. And the man says, yeah, I know who you are. And by this time, he's got like Leo up and he's like shoving him into the bedroom he's got sue he's got her zip tied by this point too and he takes them into the bedroom and he begins an interrogation and that's the term he used for the next three hours or so he held them hostage in their bedroom and he said all kinds of crazy things he said that he had had their home under surveillance and he knew they didn't go out much and then he started asking details about leo's law firm and he used names that leo recognized names of actual people who worked at the law firm partners associates all kinds of people he had a Mm -hmm. lot this this mystery man had a lot of inside information about this law firm and this man kept insisting that someone had put a hit on Leo now. Now it wasn't that Leo had put a hit on someone in this drug cartel. Now someone had put a hit on Leo for $27,000. What happened to the three hundred and seventy? Right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And Leo said that he didn't, he didn't know anyone who would put a hit on him. He didn't have any enemies. Mm -hmm. And the man says, didn't you just let somebody go? Didn't you just fire an attorney at your firm? Oh, shit. And Leo had. He had recently let go a young female attorney. And the man seemed very interested in this, the man, the assailant. He seemed very you mean interested. The boyfriend? Oh. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes, really. For sure, the boyfriend. Wow. Jumping to a lot of conclusions pretty early on here, Kristen. I always do, and I'm always wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You are always wrong! (laughs) So, he starts asking a lot of questions about this woman who's recently been fired from the firm. He spends about 45 minutes of this interrogation time Mm -hmm. on this. But he didn't use the woman's name. And he started after like the 45 minutes had passed, he started kind of wandering in and out of the room and making phone calls out of sight of Leo and Sue. But they could overhear some of it. And he was giving like kind of short answers to someone on the phone. Yes. No. Not yet. And then like occasionally he'd be like his tone would change and it was as if he was bored and he was like, whatever. Like. Mm-hmm. Very odd. And when he'd come back into the room where Leo and Sue were being held, he'd say that he had been on the phone with his boss or his partner. So they're like maybe an hour and a half into this. Leo would tell the police later that it was very difficult to judge the passage of time. So he wasn't sure how much time they were really in there or how quickly things went or whatever. Um, But about an hour and a half into this, the assailant asks Leo to get up and take him to the home office and log into the law firm's 
private network Mm -hmm. so that he could access administrative files, client lists, all kinds of stuff that are very confidential. Yeah. And Leo did, as the man asked, he let him in and he let him take over the keyboard and and the man started searching for something, but he didn't find what he was looking for. And he grew very frustrated. Yeah, because his girlfriend wanted to find the file. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Hmm. I guess that's it. We're done. Yeah. Kristen knows. Good having you. (laughs) (laughs) All of this is going on and Sue's still back in the bedroom and she is... So worried about Leo because Leo has a heart condition. Mm. He had had a quadruple bypass like the year before and he still took heart medication for it. And she was very concerned because he seemed like he was having trouble breathing. Obviously, this is a very stressful situation. And so she's like calling out to Leo and asking how he is. And he says something to the effect of he thinks he might be having a heart attack. And so Sue begs this assailant to call an ambulance and he says no. And she asks him to call a doctor then just call mm-hmm. like the private family doctor, um, call him directly and have him just come to the house and check Leo out. And of course, the man refuses. And then she remembers that the chicken is still in the oven. So she has to go be able to go and turn the oven off. And the man again says no, that he'll do it himself. At some point during all of this, Sue starts to feel very sick. She tells the man she feels like she's going to vomit. She's dizzy, whatever. And so he actually does remove her zip ties and lets her go to the bathroom. And so she is allowed to kind of move freely from the bedroom to the bathroom. Um, I'm guessing because the assailant didn't want puke all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And so during all of this time... Leo is back in the bedroom on the bed, still zip tied. And so she kind of like when she's in the bathroom, she's kind of sneaking a peek out to see what's going on while she's in there. And at one point she sees like the man leave the room. And so she kind of follows him because he she's hoping she can he can kind of. She can kind of see what's going on. And at one point she follows him to like the entryway and peers around the corner. And he's got the front door wide open and there's like a woman standing outside the front door and he's talking to her. Oh, some random woman. Mm-hmm. And then she runs back to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another time she follows him and he's again on the phone and he's like flipping the front porch light on and off as if signaling uh-huh. something like he's doing rhythmically. And so some more time passes. She goes back to the bathroom. She throws up. She looks at her watch. It's about 9 p.m. So this all started about just after six. So about three hours have gone by. She asks her husband if he's doing OK. Um, and he says, yes, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And about this time, the assailant comes back into the room and he's very agitated. And he says to Leo, he says, do you keep a lot of money in the house? Stacks of bills? (laughs) 20s? Don't you have like $20,000 in cash here in the house? What? And Leo Leo said, no, I have no, there's no cash in the house. There's nothing here. But. I can go to an ATM and I can get you some money. I have money and Mm -hmm. I just don't have cash here in the house. And he's like, well, don't you have gold? 
Who has a who? Oh yeah, oh, my yeah. gold bars. Let me get my doubloons out. Yeah, let me get my gold bullion out of the huh? fucking safe. Hold on. And he's like, No, I don't have anything. And so the man, when he said that he didn't have any money, he didn't have any stacks of cash. He didn't have any gold, but he'd be happy to take him to the ATM. The man was pissed, and he just kind of like turned to the side and like stared off into the distance and stood there silently for like 30 seconds. <laughs> that and had then, to be so scary. And then as if from nowhere, like zero to a hundred, he grabbed a pillow, knocked Leo onto his back, put the pillow over his face <gasps> no. and slit Leo's throat. No. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So at this time, Sue is still in the bathroom and she calls out to Leo. Oh. And he doesn't respond. And so she opens the bathroom door and she sees this man on top of her husband and he is cutting him. He's slicing at him. He's stabbing him. And Leo manages to say, Muffy, he's murdering me. Oh, my God. And the man who was on top of Leo actively stabbing him starts laughing and he says muffy what is this the muppets oh what yeah yeah oh my god i've got chills i know terrible and at that point the man jumped up off of leo and he turned towards sue and he pulled out i don't know if it was from his pocket or what he but he pulled out a handgun and he fired at Sue and Leo, who is stabbed multiple times by this point and has his throat cut. Yeah. Watches as a bullet seemingly strikes his wife in the head. He watches her hair fly out uh-huh. and she falls to the ground. The bullet like grazed her head she manages to like stumble and crawl onto the bed and she's crawling like across leo to try and get to a phone yeah that's on like the far side of the bed and suddenly the man is on top of her and he's stabbing her in the back and the neck what the yeah oh my god and she collapsed and the man got off and she as soon as he got off her, she gets up and she starts crawling towards the phone again and he stabs her more. He climbs on her and he stabs her more in the back. And finally, she decided her only option was to play dead. And so she did. She just collapsed onto the bed and pretended to be dead. The man picked up the shell casing from the bullet he had fired at her and then he walked over to Leo Kicked him in the head. By this time, I believe Leo is on the floor and he's just like bleeding out. He's been stabbed. His throat's been slit. He kicks him in the head and he says, you're going to die. And then he leaves the bedroom. Finally, when Sue waits a few seconds to hear him, to hear if he's going to walk back into the room and she doesn't hear him. And so she gets up and she starts crawling towards the other side of the bed to get again only to find that the man had taken the phone with him. There's no phone there. However, they have a panic button for their alarm system on the wall. And she manages, like, with all of her strength to reach out and hit the panic button just as she 
collapses onto the floor. Yeah. The alarm is blaring, but she knows that the first thing they're going to do is call the house to Mm -hmm. see if they need to send police. And so she has to get to a phone. Yeah. And so she crawls. She drags her body. She's been shot. She's been stabbed. She drags her body out of the bedroom um, into another room, uh, the office, I believe, where another phone was. And she answers the phone as it's ringing. And it's a dispatcher for the police. And it's 945 by this point. So it's been three and a half hours since the doorbell rang. Mm -hmm. And the dispatcher just says, hello. And Sue says, hello, it's a home invasion. Sue Duncan, Leo Fisher, home invasion. Come right away. We have two cats Please save them. Oh. Yeah. At this point, Leo comes like stumbling out of the bedroom. How? Right? How? Oh, my God. He like stumbles towards the front door and collapses in the foyer and shouts, I love you to Sue. And he lies there like in the foyer until... He thought he saw flashing lights. Mm-hmm. And so he opened the front door, believing it might be the police. No. Oh, my God. Brandy. You're... And dragged his body onto the deck. And sure enough, it was the police. Oh, Emergency my God. Don't crews. do that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I thought it was the bad guy coming no, 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 back. No, no, no. It is the police. Emergency crews are there. It's like one police officer, though. And like Leo's bloody body. He's like just like pulling his bloody body out of oh. the house, begging for them to help. Yeah. He's like, my wife's in there. Um, Backup is there pretty quickly. They get this one officer who arrives on the scene first happens to also be an EMT. Uh Uh-huh. And so he's like, he walks in the house. There's fucking blood everywhere. everywhere. He sees Sue. She is like in the office, huddled like on the floor, but like with her back up against the desk. She's covered in blood. And this officer, who is also an EMT, is like, she's dead. Yeah. She's for sure dead. And then he notices that the blood that was coming out of this gash on her neck is coming out at the rhythm of a heartbeat, Uh which means that she is still alive. Oh, God. I'm about to pass out. And so get ready. Oh, no. What he you- knows he needs to stop that bleeding. Uh-huh. He sticks his finger in the wound oh. and holds it there. Oh, man. Until, he, like, emergency crews yeah. arrive on the scene. Oh, God. You could be okay. Oh, this is... I feel like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Meanwhile, Sue, like comes to a little bit as they're like getting ready to load her up on Mm -hmm. into an ambulance. And she says, please save my cats. They're indoor cats. They won't survive if they get out. Oh, like, I just love that. She's just thinking of her animals in that moment. Like, I bet she never kicked a dog in the face. (laughs) Okay. Calm down. Oh, I'm so sorry. Poor Winston. <laughs> was his name Winston? I thought it was Walter. But okay. I, mean... I thought it was Walter at first, too. Uh-huh. But then I thought I was misremembering because 
David likes to call Oliver Walter because he says he looks like like a grumpy old man. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Walter. Oh, fuck. But then again, I just simply patted him on the head. You didn't kick him in the face. (laughs) Oh, no. Poor, poor W. Corgi. (laughs) Anyway, back to this bloody scene. Yeah. One of the police officers, like one of the EMTs walked into the bedroom and they said that the. What? There was so much blood everywhere and it it congealed that it just looked like there was like jelly everywhere. Stop it. Why? That's how much blood they lost in this attack. Okay, but. That's horrifying. Yeah, I agree. These are the details I would leave out. You don't need to hear that it no. looks like red jellies everywhere? No. Oh, my God. Okay, I like to paint a picture. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, out on... So, like, their front porch was more like a deck. Mm-hmm. And so, out on the deck, Leo is laying in a, pie, a puddle of his own blood. And another police officer is holding dish towels to his neck, trying to stop the bleeding. And Leo says... I know who did this. Are you going to say? Who do you think did it, Kristen? Well, obviously the boyfriend of the woman who was fired. So he looks at this police officer and he says, Schmuel, S-C-H-M-U-H-L, Schmuel. That's who did this. Until that moment, Leo had not led on to the attacker that he knew who he was. Mm -hmm. He didn't want him to realize that he knew who he was. But it was 31-year-old Andrew Schmuel who had rang the doorbell at their house that night. So who is Andrew Schmuel? S-C-H-M-U-H-L. Schmuel, you think? I don't know, but that's a hell of a way to spell it. Yeah. Seems like some extra letters in there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Andrew is a 31-year-old guy who six months prior to this attack was dealing with a a lot of problems from an injury he had sustained to his spinal, to his Back and spinal cord. And as a result of that injury, he was on a very large regimen of pain management medication, including fentanyl Mm -hmm. and other drugs that were prescribed by his doctor. So this was like a very life-changing thing that happened to Andrew because before his back injury, he had been a super active person. He was running. He loved woodworking. He loved carpentry. He often did like home improvement projects. And so he was just like this regular guy. He had always growing up, he'd always wanted to be a lawyer. And so after he graduated from college, he enlisted in the army and then enrolled in law school. And he, when he was in law school, he met this woman named Alicia. She was this beautiful girl, great student. She was from Chicago. She played the violin. She was the editor of the law school student newspaper. And the two really hit it off. 
Um, what law school? Uh, it was Valparaiso Law School. In, it's in Indiana. Okay. Did you check that one out? No. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it either. The two really hit it off. And people recall thinking it was a little bit odd, like that they seemed like an odd pair because Andrew was a little bit of a weirdo and Alicia seemed pretty normal, very likable. But it worked out. They married um, while they were still in law school, I believe. Yeah, while they were still in law school. And after graduating, the couple moved to... Washington. At that time, Alicia found a job as an immigration attorney at a small firm, and Andrew became a lawyer in the Army, and he was an active duty officer. His duties of being a lawyer in the Army were, a lot of it was like to help soldiers process their medical claims. That was like the big part of his job. And then he also was a kind of involved in like prosecuting military members for crimes that involved electronic information. He actually had on his uh, LinkedIn page that he was the one who gave government lawyers the authorization to search the email accounts of Chelsea Manning, who is oh, the one who yeah. gave the, inf- the classified information to WikiLeaks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he posted that. On, that was like, why would you, that what? was like as his accomplishments on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he's, you know, just working as an officer in the army. He's really liking his job for the most part. But his army career was cut short when he actually sustained this back injury by slipping on a patch of ice during a PT exercise. Oh. Yeah. So it, it, I don't know, somehow this fall like was like some kind of catastrophic fall because it actually injured his spine. Mm-hmm. And so he took a medical discharge in 2012. And by 2014, he was in excruciating pain every day. He collected disability. And other than like that was his only source of income. He got about $1,100 a month. And he was mostly confined to his house. He rarely left. And Alicia, his wife, became the breadwinner for the family. And she, by this point, had taken a job as an intellectual property lawyer. At Bean at and Bean whatever. Kinney. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this is kind of like what, what Andrew's day would consist of. Every morning after Alicia left for work, he'd soak in a bathtub for like two or three hours. And then if that helped enough with the pain, he'd do a couple chores around the house. But then he'd often break out in like these like cold sweats because he had developed a serious opioid dependency because of this injury. Yeah. He had become addicted to his prescription pain medication. So... This dude was on all kinds of shit, and this will become important later. Okay. So just a little bit about this regimen that he was on. So the strongest drug in his regimen was fentanyl, which fentanyl is a synthetic opiate, and it is like a hundred times more powerful than morphine. It is stronger, like a hundred times stronger than heroin. It is... That's crazy. A crazy drug. Yes. It is nuts. It is highly regulated, but it is so fucking dangerous. Like to the point that like um 
police officers have overdosed because they've come in physical contact with it during a drug search of someone's property. Wow. Yeah. If you see, like, if you look up what a lethal dose of of fentanyl is, it is microscopic. It is the scariest fucking drug. Okay. So he was taking, was given, was, um, Prescribed, sorry, could not think of the word, fentanyl patches. So these are like transdermal patches you put on your skin and mm-hmm. then a slow dose of the medication is is released through it. But in addition to that, he also took a second opioid in pill form, which was Dilaudid. He took that every four to six hours. He also wore a clonidine patch, which was, I guess, a blood pressure medication. He was on Toradol, which was an a daily nope. injection to reduce pain and inflammation. And that one he had to have Alicia do every day because it was like daily and he couldn't do like he, he hated needles and he couldn't handle doing the injection himself. So Alicia would give him the injection in his leg every day. How um, many doctors did this man have? Great question. I yeah. don't know. But I'm not done with the list. Oh shit. Okay. He also took um, gabapentin, which was an anti-seizure drug. And it was all, it's also been shown to be somewhat effective in different kinds of pain. Um, and so he took that three times a day. He took lisinopril for high blood pressure. He took Cymbalta, which was an antidepressant. He took Sumatriptan for migraine headaches. Tizanidine, a muscle relaxer, sucralfate, sucralfate, which was a um, a drug to help offset all the gastrointestinal problems he had from taking all of this fucking medication. And then in addition to that, he took all kinds of over-the-counter drugs. He took Pepto-Bismol, Exlax, NyQuil, Benadryl, um, like oh those um, analgesic patches. What? That's pain medication. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> just because it says anal. <laughs> I just wanted to know what he did with it. He was on all kinds of fucking shit. And while all of those drugs were prescribed. No. Yeah, they were. They were no, all prescribed okay. to him. I believe. They but were I believe I believe what you're saying is yeah. probably correct. They were prescribed by different doctors who didn't get the full story of what he was on. Or. A couple of really shitty doctors who just didn't care. Yeah, yeah, that's that's messed up. Yeah. So Andrew is struggling. He's addicted to pain pills. He's in pain every day. He's getting no relief. Well, that can't be true. Why can't it be true that he could still be in pain because he's built up such a tolerance to all of that medication? Oh, okay. I think that could absolutely that he could see. I don't know enough about that medication. I guess maybe you could. Yeah. But my my initial reaction if, is if you've got that much stuff, you're just you're probably not even. How are you even functioning? How do you even do a three hour interrogation? Is yeah, my exactly. Exactly. So he's hardcore into the meds and Alicia has the full responsibility of supporting him and herself and things are not going well. Yeah. At her job. She's falling behind at work. She'd been at Bean and Ki- Bean Kinney for about a year at this point, And she had been hired by Leo Fisher. Of course. And Leo was a pillar at the firm. And he 
seemed to be very well respected. So a former partner kind of, I believe, was interviewed for this article that I read. And she said that um, when after she had been hired, she'd worked there for a short time. She was doing really well. And Leo pulled her um, into a meeting one day and said, you know what? I lowballed you when I made you the offer here. And I want to make it right. You deserve wow. a salary bump and I'm going to make it retroactive to when you started. Wow. Yeah. He said, we started you low. We thought you'd come back to us and you accepted our offer and it's we're underpaying you. How amazing. Right? Yeah. What a good guy. I know, right? And so Leo's the one who hires Alicia. And when she's having problems, Leo's the one that has to has to deal with that. And so she begins missing meetings. She begins missing deadlines and the partners start complaining about her performance. So in June of 2014, Leo is like, I've got to take care of this. I'm going to have to sit her down. We're going to have to have like a performance review and get to the bottom of this. And then he learns that Alicia had actually listed her husband as an employee of the firm on a mortgage application and then had impersonated a human resources director of the oh, firm and a phone call no, with the bank. No, no, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Leo pulls Alicia into a meeting and is like, you know, this is fraud. Yeah. And she was like, no, this is a misunderstanding, you know, whatever. And so he sent her home that day and said that he needed to consider whether she was still going to have a position at Bean Kinney. And he said of, of that at that time that he thought, you know, when you see someone with promise, you want to give them a chance. You don't, you don't ever, you want to make sure you have the full story of Mm -hmm. what's going on. And so he really thought about that and whether he was going to let this be the deciding factor. If she could, was going to be asked to leave the firm or if he thought she should deserve a second chance, But the next morning he gets to work and Alicia's husband, Andrew, is there at the office uninvited Uh, and making a scene. And so Leo pulls them both into his office uh and Andrew is riled up. He's angry. He's raising his voice. And he insisted that they were not trying to commit mortgage fraud and that. He needed to under Leo needed to understand what was really going on here. And Leo is very angry. Well, yeah, this is not how you conduct yourself. This Absolutely is Absolutely not. not. And so he said that he needed to talk to Alicia by herself. And Andrew's like, absolutely not. Nope. You want to talk to her? You're going to talk to me. And no. finally, Alicia stands up and told her husband to leave and said, she said, Andrew, leave now because I'm going to say try and save my job. Mm hmm. But. Apparently, at that time, even still, Leo did not fire Alicia. He gave her another chance. But as, like, time went by, her performance still was not improving. She committed fraud. I know! How can you trust someone after that? Oh, okay. So Leo's like, we're going to give you a second chance, but her performance does not improve. And so on October 27th, 2014, Leo pulled 
Alicia into his office one more time and gave her a severance package Mm -hmm. and said, it's just not working out. I know you're going to be a great lawyer somewhere else. He just seems like such a nice guy. He does. That was 13 days before Mm -hmm. the attack on Leo and Sue. And now Leo had just identified his attacker as Alicia's husband, Andrew. So a message went out from police to watch for the Schmuel's Honda um, SUV. Ten minutes later, two canine units spotted the vehicle and went to pull it over and it didn't stop. One of the police units pulled up next to it and like looked in and saw that a woman was driving mm-hmm. and that there was a man in the passenger seat like frantically removing his clothing. Uh-huh. And that the two seemed to be having an argument. Several they follow this car for several miles. It's kind of a chase, but not really. Like they're just keeping it at a safe distance. Like, but several miles go by and then suddenly the car pulls over. And a man jumps out of the car. It's Andrew Schmuel. Mm-hmm. And he's naked. What? Except for an adult diaper. No, no. Yes. No. Yes. Because one of the side effects of all of those medications well, sure. was incontinence. Well, he took the x Yeah. And well, because it probably the two, because opioids cause constipation. And so you take the x to ward off the constipation. And then you're probably just. It's hard to get the right balance. That's right. It's just a, a ticking time bomb. Uh-huh. One of the police officers ordered um, Andrew to drop to the ground. They... He wasn't complying at first, and they told him they'd sick the dog on him and that he'd be bit. And finally, he These laid poor down. police officers, you know, they were like, am I going to have to wrestle a man, man in a diaper? In a diaper, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Finally, they get him to lay down on the ground. They handcuff him. They start asking him questions. And at first, like, he seemed pretty lucid. He was answering their questions. Mm-hmm. And then... Moments later, it was like there was a a switch flipped and it was like a very distinct change in his behavior. All of a sudden, he his eyes were rolling around in his head. He appeared like he was passing out. And then he started speaking in German. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And so the officer was like, what'd you take? What what are you on? You've you've taken something. And he said, Andrew said, yes, that he took fentanyl and Dilaudid and something else. And so they've called like EMS by this time and they're waiting for an ambulance and by his his pulse like they've they're they're monitoring his heart rate at this point and it has dropped to a very slow rate and he looks very pale. And they're like concerned that this guy is overdosing uh-huh. right here while they have him in custody. And so he they one of the police officers that has him like handcuffed he's like do you do you know why you're in handcuffs? And all he says is, I can't talk about it. <laughs> so the emergency crews arrive and they find his fentanyl patch on his arm and they rip it off. What they don't know is that he has another one on under his diaper. Oh, ew. Yeah. Oh, gross. So they wouldn't find that one until he's out of the hospital much later. Yeah. Um, but they take him and they take him for 
to the hospital to receive medical attention because mm-hmm. this dude is like in the middle of an overdose. Alicia is put into a police cruiser and handcuffed and she's sitting there and they have a video camera on her and she seems very calm and fully clothed. Oh, uh, no, that's no nice. diaper that we know of. And the, all of a sudden she's just sitting there and it's like, she's like, <gasps> an idea comes to her. A thought comes to her and she goes, Oh God, his computer. And they get she that, says like, this. She out says loud? that out loud while sitting in custody in a police car. And so it's recorded. It's on video. She's a fucking lawyer. She's a fucking lawyer. Okay. Okay. Inside the Schmuel's car, the police found all kinds of stuff that was connected to the crime scene. A taser, the gun that had been used, though it's now been disassembled, the knife that had been used to stab and slash Sue and Leo, credit cards, a pile of bloody clothes that had been doused in ammonia, Tizanidine pills, which I don't know what those are or what they Mm. do, Um, a novelty police badge, and two handwritten notes. One of the notes was written in Alicia's handwriting, and it contained directions to an address next door to Sue and Leo's (laughs) house. So it's like, she's like, okay, well, I don't want to write down the actual address. I'm too smart for that. I'm too quick for that one. Yeah. And then the second note, which was in Andrew's handwriting, was like a shopping list. It said, it had on it, handcuffs, two bottles of NyQuil, two packs of Benadryl, one adult diaper, two adult sleeping masks. EMTs take um, Andrew to the hospital in Arlington. They give him a dose of Narcan immediately. Yeah. And his condition improves almost immediately. Um, And that's when they discover that he has the second patch on under his diaper. At the same time, at the same hospital, doctors and nurses and surgeons are working to save Leo Fisher and Sue Duncan's life. Mm -hmm. They both go into surgery. They, Leo is like drifting in and out of consciousness the whole time. Um, One of his last memories of it before going into this surgery is that someone was cutting off his pants and Sue was also pulled into emergency surgery and she remembers being awake and alert when they started stapling her head wound closed. Oh my God. She distinctly remembers the sound of the stapler on her skull. Are you telling me that these two survive? They both survived. Impossible. They both survived. Whoa. Is that not fucking crazy? That's nuts. Sue was shot in the head and stabbed multiple times. Leo's throat was slit and he was stabbed multiple times. Oh my God. And they both survived. Oh. No word on the cats. I'm going to choose to believe that they were just fine as well. Of course they were just fine. Yes. If I'm sorry, if Sue and Leo can survive that, the fucking cats are fine. I'm sure the cats are just fine. Within a couple of days, Andrew's condition improved and he was released from the hospital into police custody. And he was charged with a whole host of charges, seven charges total. Um, Abduction, aggravated malicious wounding, use of a firearm and burglary all added up together he was facing a minimum of 108 years in prison i can't believe they didn't get attempted murder on this yeah 
Of course. But he was not charged with attempted murder. Did they feel like they had enough? On I all guess the other maybe. Shit? I, that seems that yeah. seems nuts. Yeah. Andrew's parents received a call like two days after the attack. So on November 11th, saying that Andrew had been involved in some kind of violent altercation and that he was being held and charged. And they were so confused. They were like, how could that be? That's not in fitting with his, Mm -hmm. with the, our son that we know at all. Something doesn't seem right. And so they, they lived like 14 hours away and they got in the car and they drove like through the night to go see Andrew. And when they got to the jail to visit him, he said he didn't remember anything and that his mind was fuzzy and he has no idea what happened that night. Uh, so it's all Alicia's fault? The question that would become the focus of this case would be, was Andrew in his right mind during mm-hmm. the attack? Was the interrogation of and torture of Leo and Sue... Was that the cold-blooded act of a monster? Or was Andrew a decent person who had been turned into a zombie by prescription medications and their toxic interactions? No, 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 no. Give me a break. Don't you shrug those shoulders at me, Missy. What do you mean, no? Um... We have an opioid epidemic in this country, but we don't have a home invasion and stab people a million times epidemic to go along with it. So, side note, Alicia was also arrested and faced similar charges. I think she was just charged with five charges. Um, And initially, they were going to be tried together. Mm. But Alicia's lawyers alleged that Andrew had abused her and controlled her for years And um, that that would be their defense moving forward. And so the judge um, split their trials. Okay. So it was 2016, I believe, by the time Andrew went to trial. And the two sides pretty much agreed on one thing. That Andrew had hurt Leo and Sue. That was the facts. He had done it. He was the one that was there that night. But they disagreed on the motive. The prosecution said that the defendant was a murderer at heart. He was a liar. He was a con man. This was motivated by revenge. And it was about greed. It was about anger. It was about torture. The defense said that Andrew was a good man with a good heart. And it was the medicine that was supposed to be helping him, a suffering veteran who had been failed by the VA and betrayed by his wife and poisoned. Betrayed by his wife how? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Okay, okay. She was cold and she was calculating and she knew his state and she put these ideas into his head. I'm guessing okay, is kind okay. of what they were getting yeah, at yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah. They said 
that his mental state the night of the attack was something that he had no control over. He had involuntary intoxication. Oh, come on. So this defense strategy is similar to an insanity defense Mm -hmm. where it it becomes the defense's burden to prove that the mental state was altered to a point. So the legal definition of it is they have to prove that his mental state was altered to a point that he didn't understand the consequences of his actions. But the cause has to be that a drug was ingested without his willingness or without knowing what he had injected, what he had ingested. Okay, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. But in previous cases where this has been used, like some of the examples have been like maybe a defendant was at a bar and someone put PCP in their drink. Right, right. Or maybe a doctor had prescribed the wrong medication. So that is the strategy that the defense is taking moving forward, that all of these medications that had been prescribed to Andrew had interacted with each other and had caused involuntary intoxication. And he had no control over those actions that night, nor did he know what he was doing. That's a good defense. I mean, I think it's a pretty good defense, too, because yeah. what the fuck else can you say? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Involuntary intoxication defenses are super rare. Mm-hmm. We've talked about a case that has a similar argument. What? The Michelle Carter case. No. Yeah. They said that she was intoxicated and given grandiose ideas from, oh, her, okay. from her antidepressant. Well, I didn't believe that. I didn't then, believe and I don't then. believe this now. <laughs> I don't either. I don't believe it either. But I think it's the only option the defense has well, of in course. this case. Of course. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but this would be an uphill battle for the defense. Their plan was to put on an expert who would talk about her experience is treating patients with chronic pain. They would, she would talk about the risks of being on those medications long term, how those medications could possibly interact with each other, all kinds of things relating to that. And that, and medication induced delirium. That was going to be like the buzzword. Okay. If that is the state that he was in that night. Medication induced delirium. So in this expert's opinion, her name was Dr. Eileen Ryan. In her opinion, um, and she was all ready to testify to this, but we'll get to why she wasn't able to. She was prepared to say that Andrew fit fit the textbook definition of experiencing delirium. He had never been diagnosed with any kind of mental illness, and his mental state became altered for a brief period and then very quickly returned to normal. She thought that the trigger for Andrew's delirium was most likely a toxic overdose of fentanyl. She was planning to testify that 
this was proven by the fact that when Andrew was injected with Narcan, it worked. It reversed his overdose. Why'd your face look like that? I... So it wasn't his fault because Narcan worked on him? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's, that's in her expert opinion. It is proven that he was in a state of overdose. He was in a state of delirium because when he was injected with Narcan, it brought him back to a balanced state of mind. Okay. Well, maybe he had overdosed. Yeah. But I find it very hard to believe that one doctor prescribed mm-hmm. all that and that yeah. he was taking all of those medications as Exactly directed. as prescribed. Yeah, exactly. And so... Yeah, he had two fentanyl patches on him when he was arrested. Yeah, no. Yeah. That was that was his choice Absolutely. to do that. Absolutely. And so if he... You know, it's like if I went and got drunk right now. You know, that's mm-hmm. my choice. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, she was planning to testify to all of this at trial. Yeah, what happened? So, for strategic reasons, the defense kept this this strategy in their pocket mm-hmm. until the last moments of the trial. And then they were going to bring out this big defense, bring out this big expert... And it totally backfired. The <gasps> state complained that the, the, the defense was sidestepping procedural rules that would have let the state's medical expert evaluate Andrew, which I completely agree yeah, with. Yeah. And the judge agreed. He would nice. not allow um, this expert to testify about involuntary to- intoxication. She was allowed to testify. She could testify about drugs and about toxic drug interactions, but she could not offer a diagnosis specifically about Andrew. And she could not explain how delirium might have accounted for his behavior on that night. In fact, she wasn't even allowed to use the word delirium on the stand. Yeah. So she did testify, but she only testified about like the high shit. Yeah, she could basically only testify about it hypothetically. Like, hypothetically, this is what could happen if these drugs interacted. Yeah. Not saying, I believe that this is what happened. Or, I I examined this patient and this is what I think happened that night. Yeah. She couldn't say any of that. Because the defense was like, we're going to be sneaky sneaks. Mm -hmm. And not, like. Yeah, she's going to be our ace in the hole. Yeah. No. Yeah. You have to follow procedure. Yeah. If you're going to bring in a medical expert, the prosecution gets a medical expert, too. Yeah. And they have to be able to examine the patient. Yeah. I just think that's dumb as fuck. I'm not a lawyer, and I know that. Well. They really thought they were going to sneak that in there? Do you think that was just arrogance? I think it probably was arrogance. Yeah. I wonder if they'd gotten away with that before. They probably have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. So because of that, the trial became less about this involuntary intoxication defense instead of and it became more of like about what had been his choices and what like had been out of his control. So they talked more about what doses he was on 
uh, what he'd been prescribed, how much he'd actually taken. Like, I think the fact that he had had the two fentanyl patches on and all of that came up. So it became very, very focused on how much of everything he took and how he was abusing drugs rather than what was done involuntarily or what might have been out of his control. Yeah. yeah. Which... I don't believe the involuntary intoxication no. defense anyway. So No, there was he was ingesting too many things. Yeah. Yeah. They also talked about the thing the prosecution was also able to bring evidence that showed that this whole thing was premeditated and that Alicia was involved in it. Of course she was. Yeah. 11 days after Alicia lost her job, security camera at some store Recorded footage of Alicia buying a taser. Mm-hmm. That same day, she bought three items that were later found on that shopping list in the car. The NyQuil, the Benadryl, and the adult diapers. Around that same time, so 11, 10, or I'm sorry, three, four days before the attack happened, Andrew went and purchased two prepaid Go phones. When the phones were registered and set up, one was named Panama and the other was named OP. In military jargon, OP stands for observation post. Okay. Yep. Because Alicia had one of the phones and was standing watch outside the house the entire time. She sure was. So prosecutor said all of this pointed to proof that Andra and Alicia had conspired together and planned this attack. The argument that Andrew was mentally impaired during the attack, the state called Sue and Leo to the stand to talk about his mental state during it. They said that his behavior during the torture session was very different than the confused state he appeared to be in at the time of his arrest and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they believed either he'd taken more drugs after the attack. And that was an explanation for it. Or it was all an act. Hmm. I I imagine it's probably somewhere in between, right? It's probably a combination of the two. Absolutely. Yeah. They said when he was in the house, he was authoritative. He was in control. There was no question over whether he had, control of his actions whether he knew what he was doing it was very clear that he was doing what he wanted to do and that he had planned it yeah when it was clear that the defense's claim of involuntary intoxication was not going very well they tried to shift the blame from andrew to alicia of course They said that she was an aggressive person who sought out confrontation and that she had taken advantage of Andrew's weakened state and had manipulated him into taking on this task for her. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The biggest kind of maybe twist at trial, I would say, came when uh, towards the end of it, the defense called Andrew Schmuel to the stand. We know this, that defendants don't often testify because it opens them up to cross-examination and all of that. But Andrew's team felt it was worth the risk. The jury needed to know all the drugs he had been taking 
and there were holes in his medical records. So the only way to get all of that information like admitted into the court record was for him to get up there and talk about it. Hmm. So when word got out that he was going to testify, the courthouse like that just filled up with people. People could not wait to see him take the stand. So he he was called and he came in wearing his Navy uniform and he took the stand and he initially listed off all the drugs that he was on. And then he talked about the fentanyl patch and how he had multiple fentanyl patches on that day. And he said he had no recollection of putting on two patches and that the only explanation he could know of it was that Alicia must have put one on him. Because the one that was under the diaper was on his back. And Alicia was the only one who ever put patches on his back. He couldn't reach to do it. Couldn't reach his back? That's right, Kristen. Was it in that one middle spot that <laughs> none of us can reach? Yeah. Or was it like a little more to the side? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yes. I mean, he got there on the stand and he implied that his wife drugged him. And that was the reason that he did this whole I thing. I mean, what else can he say? I mean, right? He said that... He, his last memory of the day that this happened, November 9th, was from the afternoon or early evening when he and Alicia went through went for a drive through the Shenandoah Valley. The next thing he knew, he was in the hospital. He didn't remember going to Leo and Sue's or anything that happened inside their home. So that fit the defense's claims that he, you know, was in some kind of state and that he didn't remember anything. But this created an opening for the prosecution to come in and kind of try to poke holes here. So on cross-examination, the prosecutor talked about how Andrew said he didn't recall buying or using the burner phones. And the prosecutor said that at 12.01 p.m. on November 7th, the phones were communicating with each other next to the gun store where Alicia bought the taser. Mm-hmm. And the prosecutor said, so you don't remember that, do you? And Andrew said, I don't remember using prepaid go phones. And the prosecutor said, but you could have used them, right? And Andrew looked confused and didn't really say anything. And the prosecutor said, it's tricky, isn't it? Either you do remember or you don't remember. And Andrew said, I can't specify that I don't remember to a negative. What? Yes. And the judge says, wait, wait, what does that mean? Yeah, like, the judge thank interjected. you. And thank was like, you, what judge. does that mean? And Andrew says, I can't specifically say that I don't remember something that I don't remember. Oh, my God. My <laughs> brain hurts. <laughs> and this like went on. And, like, it was as if he was just trying to be a difficult well, witness. Yeah. Yeah. He said that he didn't ever recall having a taser in his hand. He didn't remember binding Leo and Sue or forcing them into the bedroom or searching for information on Leo's computer. He didn't remember cutting Leo's throat or shooting Sue or stabbing her repeatedly. And so the prosecutor's like, okay, so let me ask you this. And then he walked... Um, kind of Andrew through the actions that he must have taken immediately after the attack, after the attack. And so 
it was like the stuff that he had done deliberately to cover his tracks. He walked mm-hmm. him through those things. And he said, at what point did you pick up the spent shell casing from the gun you'd fired? When did you retrieve your jacket and hat that you'd removed inside the house? Yeah. When did you decide to put ammonia on your bloody clothes? When did you decide to disassemble the gun? So he lay, the prosecutor lays all of this out. And then after each of those things, Andrew had the same response. And he was just kind of like leaned forward, like speaking directly into the mic like this. And after every one of those questions, he said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The jury deliberated for 35 seconds. Almost an entire day. Wow. Before delivering a verdict. What do you think they found? They had to find him guilty. They found him guilty on all counts. Okay. okay. Um when they when the jury read their verdicts aloud, Leo kind of smiled and nodded. Um and Andrew's parents were in the courtroom and they were they like kind of hugged each other. And yeah, and I mean, I think that would be difficult to hear, but I think he was 100 percent guilty. Yeah, I mean, come on. Um, One of the um, jurors later did some interviews and she said that the jury um, spent the whole morning discussing whether Andrew had been involuntarily intoxicated and they had reached a unanimous decision. No, he hadn't. There just wasn't any proof from the defense that he was uncontrollably under the influence of anything for the three hours that he was inside the house. And this juror also said that they found that expert's testimony very muddled. It didn't make any sense. And it was like listening to a commercial for a new type of medication. (laughs) In her defense, she wasn't allowed to say the thing she wanted. Yeah, exactly. And she said that the that Andrew's testimony didn't sway the jurors either. They were the biggest impact that it made is that they felt it showed he had no remorse for what he'd done. Mm -hmm. Andrew was sentenced to two terms of life plus 98 years. Wow. Yeah. Whoo. Yeah. So Alicia's trial was scheduled to begin in September of 2016. But as her trial was about to begin... Plea deal. Yep. She took a plea deal. She pled guilty to two counts of aggravated malicious wounding, two counts of abduction, and one count of burglary with a deadly weapon. At her sentencing in January of 2017, she offered an apology to Leo and Sue, and they were, of course, like, unmoved by it. Oh, yeah. Um, But she maintained that she knew nothing of what was going on inside the house that night. Oh, She said Andrew told her they were going to the house so that he could negotiate a better contract for her. Mm Mm-hmm. And she bought him a taser? Right. For the occasion? Yeah. Um, Her attorney asked the judge for leniency, saying that Andrew was abusive and that Alicia felt she had no choice but to take a subservient role in their relationship. Ultimately, a judge sentenced her to... Do you have a guess? Hmm. 25 years? 45 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Long sentences in this one. Yeah, really long sentences. So Leo and Sue were thrilled with the her entering the plea. It meant they wouldn't have to go through another no trial. Kidding. They wouldn't have to testify again. They are left with like 
permanent injuries from this. Of course. Um, Sue experienced concussion-like symptoms from that um, bullet she took to the head and still has ringing in her ears. Mm. Um, She's got keloid scarring from the stab wounds on her back and her back um, hurts her constantly. Leo has trouble chewing and swallowing food when his throat was slit it severed the nerves on one side of his face and makes it difficult for him to control his tongue when he gets tired he slurs his words and it's a permanent injury that has affected his ability to be a lawyer yeah oh leo also says the attack has changed him in uh, less physical ways he said he always considered himself a calm and open-hearted person. I think that's so clear by yes, the things that like yes. he gave Alicia all those chances at the law firm and did the right thing when he felt that he was underpaying a partner um, or an associate. But he said now he feels rage a lot. Mm. And he says it's hard to watch sue suffer and that he knows that sue is the one who saved them both they would have died if she hadn't triggered that security alarm and then dragged her body across the house to get to the phone that would be so hard to look at the person you love the most Mm -hmm. and see that they are in pain and know that it was so senseless yeah so leo who has always been like this very like even keeled mild-mannered pretty quiet man Um, When he was on the stand at the trial, he tried to describe the feeling of having like all of this rage um, and not really knowing who this new person is. And he said, I just want to eject myself from where I am and scream at the top of my voice. I've never been a person who hated before. And I hate now. Oh, God, Leo. Yeah. That's the story of a home invasion. Oh, my God. That was crazy. Isn't that crazy? First of all, I can't believe they lived. I know, right? Yeah. Cannot believe it. Yeah. When I was reading this for the very first time, even though it was bookmarked (laughs) on my computer, I still have no idea how that fucking happened. But I was like, they fucking lived? That's unreal. Yes. I'm telling you, this article is so well written, and it covers it, like, from start to finish. So, shout out to... um, Jason Fagone for the Washington Washingtonian. <laughs> Excellent article, sir. Oh, Brandy just did a hat tip. An imaginary hat tip. She has a little fedora Tiny on. Tiny fedora. It's it's miniature fedora. Right. So she's only yeah. a little bit of a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Are you automatically a douche if you have a fedora on? I don't make the rules, Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> have you I mean Come on. Yeah, all right. All right. right. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Um, may I lighten this up considerably? Fuck yes, please. This is like... Classic. You got a Cool Whip case? I got a Cool Whip case. Good. Big old tub of it. Yes. I mean, as cases go, no one died in mine. I know, but it was still, I mean, poor Leo and Sue, now they have hate in their hearts. Ugh. That is terrible. Yeah. And those two, Adult Diapy and Alicia. Oof. Adult Diapy. Yikes. It's like, how do people find Do you think Alicia manipulated him into doing that? Um, no, I think they, I think they deserved each other. I do too. And so something I think I kind of grazed past and left out was that when she was initially fired from Mm -hmm. the law firm, he was like, well, let's figure out how to sue him. There's got to be like a gender, like inequality suit Mm -hmm. that we can file something. We can say you were fired for, you know. Not for being bad at your job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And when she was like, no, clearly that's not going to (laughs) work. Like this was the next step. Oh, well, it's so logical. Right. Uh (laughs) I think they 100% work together and plan the whole thing. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Okay, lighten it up, okay, please. Okay, here we go. Well, ironically, I'm going to go down for a moment and just say our Patreon bonus episode. Yes. I put up a poll yeah. on the Patreon. I know you didn't see it because you still don't I have still the password. I still don't have access to the Patreon. Did you notice how I said you still don't have access as if, like, I don't control that? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm working really hard to yeah. get you access. It's in that notebook over there. You can't yes. see it. No, so I... I let people, I put up a poll on Patreon to see what people might be interested in me covering for the bonus episode. Wow, I just knocked my glass. Mm -hmm. Okay. I put up the trial of George Zimmerman. Oh, wow. Or the trial of Timothy McVeigh. Oh, for fuck's sake, Kristen. I I wanted to do like big ones for like Patreon. And I mean, this is the first time anyone's ever said this since. Timothy McVeigh won by a long shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whew. 55 to 29. Wow. Yeah. People were like, yeah. Too soon. That's what I would have voted for, too. With George Zimmerman. Yeah. Yeah. They were not interested. I can't handle it either. I'm yeah. glad it didn't win. Okay. Well, you, <laughs> you and 55 others. You would have had to do that episode by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you just walk out. I know. I stay here, but I just put headphones on. <laughs> And yeah, listen it, to music. You just hear me like singing softly in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like every now and again, I like, check in. You done? Oh, you still? Done? No. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. I miss the rains down in Africa. Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I was singing the Weezer version, not the not the Toto version. Okay. Well, thanks. The for Toto that. does that. I don't know. 
It is Toto. It is Toto. I'm trying to act cool. <laughs> okay, so thank you to Nini, who suggested this amazing case via email. Oh, nice. Let's go back in time to 1995. First of all, do you remember Pepsi Points? Okay, actually, I have a... F- a vivid memory of Pepsi points. Okay. This neighbor um, of mine at my mom's house. So I always have to specify because I had two houses. Yes. Um, Because you were so wealthy. That's right. I had a summer home. (laughs) No, no, my mom's house and my dad's house. So my neighbor at my mom's house, Mary Kay, she loved Pepsi and collected the shit out of Pepsi points. So she would cut them out and she had them set up in muffin tins in her house by point value. And I believe she was saving up like for the leather jacket or some oh bullshit. Oh my god. Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay, first of all, I'm so glad we've said muffin so many times we on this episode. Said muffin so many times on this episode. But I love that you remember the leather jacket. That yeah. was that was a thing you could yeah. get with Pepsi points. Yes. Okay. So, we're in 1995. Pepsi mm-hmm. had just launched its new campaign. Drink Pepsi get stuff woo it was really that simple every time you bought a pepsi or bought a pepsi product you earned pepsi points to put into your muffin Muffin tin tin. and with those pepsi points you could earn stuff okay i want you to tell me if this commercial sounds familiar i don't i didn't really remember it okay so it's like early morning in suburbia birds chirp a paper boy tosses a newspaper onto a doorstep. One lands, and it lands at the front of this, like, two-story home. Mm-hmm. And we get a subtitle that reads, Monday, 7.58 a.m. Mm-hmm. This super cool, very 90s teenage boy who we would have thought was, like, the hottest, the hottest. is standing in the house... And he gives the camera kind of like this smoldering look. And he does one of these, like, slicks back his hair mm-hmm. with his hand. And he's wearing Pepsi shirt. Ooh. So it's like a white shirt with a, like, big-ass yeah, giant logo. Pepsi oh, logo. my gosh. Yeah. The text below it reads, T-shirt, 75 Pepsi points. Mm. Then we see another shot of him. This time, he has the leather jacket. Oh! The Coveted leather jacket over the Pepsi shirt. We get another subtitle. Leather jacket, 1,450 Pepsi points. (laughs) The cool guy walks out of his house and, oh oh no, it's super sunny out. Uh Does he have Pepsi sunglasses? He sure does. (laughs) Another subtitle. Shades. 175 Pepsi points. (laughs) And then finally, we hear the deep, very 90s announcer voice. And he goes, introducing the new Pepsi Stuff catalog. And we see the cover of Uh the catalog. Next shot. Three young boys are in front of a high school. The boy in the middle is reading the Pepsi Stuff catalog, you know, like you do. Yeah. And the boys on either side of him are enjoying ice-cold Pepsis. Ooh. When all of a sudden, chaos ensues. Something flies overhead, and it catches the attention of the boys. Then we see the inside of a classroom. One side of the room is all windows, and they're all open, 
was I'm sorry, I was scratching my finger. <laughs> that was the weirdest noise ever. Hold on. Oh, well, I'm glad you can replicate it because, um... You thought what? I thought you were sitting there farting during what? my Pepsi story. When have I ever done that, ever? Oh, okay. We're going to act like gas does not escape your butthole. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're getting a little high and mighty here. I, you think I'd just be sitting here letting a fly? <laughs> not intentionally. <laughs> Let me, let me tell you, a person who loves a meal like grilled chicken, honeydew, and a muffin and some <laughs> orange slices, they don't have full control, okay? <laughs> Something's bound to slip out of you. <laughs> I was scratching my finger. Okay, okay. God, stop it. That's so weird. It is a weird it's noise. It's really strange. Who knew I could make that? Oh, God. Now you're going to make it nonstop, aren't you? Maybe. <laughs> anyway. Then we see inside a classroom. <gasps> One side of the room is all windows, and they're all open. And there's a wild gust of wind, and papers fly everywhere, and the teacher is befuddled. Then we get an outside shot. And that's when we see the reason for all this commotion. What? Do you remember this commotion? No. Okay, okay. It's a Harrier jet. Ooh. Military aircraft. Oh, you're smiling. You're smiling. I know this case. You do. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. So, military aircraft lands outside of this high school next to the bike rack. And guess who the pilot is? Who? It's that sexy dude from... Okay, I shouldn't say that. It's like a teenage yeah. boy. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, 1995 me yeah, I thought is he saying was sexy. this. Okay. 33-year-old me. Not saying it. No. no. Okay. But anyway, so he's the dude from earlier. He's still got his t-shirt on. Still got his leather jacket and shades. And he's looking awesome. Meanwhile... The Harrier jet is generating so much wind that a dorky teacher is stripped down to his undies. <laughs> the announcer says, Now, the more Pepsi you drink, the more great stuff you're gonna get. Then we get another close-up of the cool guy. And he's sitting in the cockpit with a Pepsi in hand. And he says, Sure beats the bus. <laughs> Then, as he's climbing out the side of the plane, we get more text on the screen. Harrier fighter, seven million Pepsi points. Which was meant to be hyperbolic. Uh, no. Whoa! Whoa! Hold on! I think we all just heard that commercial. And, and we you all now got, know that you can get a jet for 7 million Pepsi points. And so our question to you, naturally, Brandy, is did your neighbor save up for the Harrier jet? <laughs> <laughs> or did she stop short she at the leather jacket? the leather jacket, I believe. So a lot of people thought this was a pretty cool commercial. It is. Uh-huh. But no one thought it was cooler than 21-year-old business student John Leonard. Who decided to save up 7 million Pepsi points. What? And was pissed. What's with your attitude you right now? You could get a jet for it. Come on, buddy! They clearly 
advertise that. No, they did not. Frankly, it's fraud if they don't give it to him. Look right off. I really hate people like this. I know. I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) They are the worst. They are the worst. So John saw that. I had totally forgotten about this case. (gasps) Okay, so I originally, so Nene reached out with it, and I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I really like it, but I just don't know that there's enough Enough, here. But, okay, she reached out to us like two weeks ago. I have not stopped thinking. thinking So I was like, okay, I just have to do do it. Yeah. So John saw that commercial and was like, wow, with Pepsi, all things are possible. And so. (laughs) I think it's like with Jesus, all things are possible. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) So John described himself and I, this is a quote. This is how he describes himself. As typical of the Pepsi generation. Oh, he was young, adventurous, and very much interested in obtaining a Harrier jet. I'm sure he was. <laughs> Seven million Pepsi points. He said, people say, well, didn't you want a t-shirt? And I say, well, when there's a Harrier out there for 7 million Pepsi points, why not aim your sights a little higher? Oh my god, I hate this guy already. Oh, is it because you don't know how to reach for the moon, Brandy? No! Shoot for the moon, Kristen. And even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. So inspired to get that Harrier jet. <laughs> so what did John do, Brandy? He started drinking Pepsi in the morning, Pepsi in the evening, Pepsi at supper time. <laughs> when Pepsi's on, on a bagel, you can eat Pepsi anytime. <laughs> <laughs> So he got himself the Pepsi Stuff catalog, and even though you're being a real pill about it, he was excited. <laughs> he looked through the array of items available for purchase. Mm-hmm. And he's real pissed when the jet's not in there. No, no. So he's looking, he sees the Pepsi phone card, he sees a pair of blue shades, he, he also saw, <laughs> this is a 100% real, a bag of balls. <laughs> And the text next to that item in the catalog was three, I'm sorry, (laughs) three balls, one bag, no rules. (laughs) In total, there were 53 items available for purchase. But shockingly, no jet. No jet. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a fucking joke in a commercial. No. (laughs) No. It was 100% serious that that hot dude flew into his high school. (laughs) (laughs) And blew his teacher's clothes. (laughs) But John wasn't worried. The Harrier jet had been clearly advertised in the Pepsi commercial, so it was for sure available for purchase. Mm -mm. Yes. Yes. This guy's an idiot, and I hate him. But so, here's the deal. John was under tremendous pressure. Because, as you said, Pepsi in the morning, Pepsi in the <laughs> evening, Pepsi in summertime. He had to earn 7 million, million Pepsi points. <laughs> he was worried that he'd never be able to consume enough Pepsi in the allotted time. Yeah, and the kidney stones were ridiculous. <laughs> but then, a miracle 
John read through the catalog, and in the back pages, he discovered points. a very important message. <laughs> it said that if a customer doesn't have enough Pepsi points to order an item that they want, no problem. You can buy Pepsi points for 10 cents a piece. The only catch was that the customer had to have earned at least 15 Pepsi points by purchasing Pepsi products. Once you get your 15, you can buy the rest. Fuck, I'm trying to do that math in my head right now. Don't worry, he'll do it for you. Oh, good. <laughs> so John did what any reasonable person would do. He hit up five wealthy investors, mm -hmm. raised about $700,000, yeah. and on March 27th, 1996, John placed an order in the Pepsi Points catalog. He showed proof of his 15 Pepsi Points and enclosed a check for $708.50. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Under the item column... In this catalog, he wrote, one Harrier jet. And under the total points column, he wrote, seven million. You look so annoyed, right? I am! This guy's an asshole! Five days later, John was sitting at his house, near an open window, <laughs> when all of a sudden, a gust of wind <laughs> his Harrier jet! <laughs> Pepsi delivered the Harrier jet, landed in his driveway. No, they did not. Okay, it did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately. He got a call <laughs> from Pepsi. In early May of 1996, Pepsi had the nerve to return John's check. Yeah. They wrote him an infuriating letter that read, the item that you have requested is not part of the Pepsi Stuff collection. It is not included in the catalog or on the order form, and only catalog merchandise can be redeemed under this program. The Harrier jet in the Pepsi commercial is fanciful and is simply included to create a humorous and entertaining ad. Yeah, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> we apologize for any misunderstanding or confusion that you may have experienced and are enclosing some free product coupons for your use. I know what you're thinking. Those bastards, how could they? John was outraged. He wouldn't stand for this. So he put on his Pepsi shades and said, Let's go to court! <laughs> so, Fucking idiot. Are you ready to hate him even more? Yeah. So the truth is, John already had a legal team. Yeah. Like, because he knew this was going to be a thing. Yeah, he wanted to make a thing of this. Fucking douche. How annoying. What a super douche. And I want to know who these five people are. It has been a minute are. since we have talked about a super douche oh, on this podcast. Believe me, I thought of that as I was writing this. Because this guy is so annoying. And you know what pisses me off? People always talk about frivolous lawsuits. And, you know, the hot coffee lady, they yeah. always say that she was, you know, she made a frivolous lawsuit. How is this guy not getting shit? Seriously. This is a frivolous yes. lawsuit. Okay. So, a court document I saw said that that check he sent to Pepsi was drawn on an account of his attorneys, which I think is the weirdest way of that saying... That is a weird way to yeah, phrase but, that. But, you know, we, I okay. think we get what they're stepping in yeah. there. Yeah. 
That's not the phrase either, Christine. Smell what you're stepping Smelling in. Smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> and then we're getting what they're putting on. <laughs> Do you remember the time? <laughs> we were in, I think we were in middle school. Uh-huh. And um, we overheard someone say, like, they mixed up their metaphors or something. And she said... She was describing someone lazy, and she said, he just sits there like a pickle on a log. (laughs) A few weeks after John got that heartbreaking letter from Pepsi, his lawyer wrote a strongly worded letter on John's behalf. It read, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I hate it already. I know, you look look so annoyed right now. I am annoyed. You know that I... I am not John, right? I mean, you don't have to look at me like that. It read, Your letter on May 7th, 1996 is totally unacceptable. We have reviewed the videotape of the Pepsi Stuff commercial. The videotape? It's a fucking commercial. It's like two minutes. We reviewed it. (laughs) It took all of my intelligence to review the videotape. And it clearly offers the new Harrier jet for 7 million Pepsi points. Our client... Followed your rules explicitly. This is a formal demand that you honor your commitment and make immediate arrangements to transfer the new Harrier jet to our client. If we do not receive transfer instructions within 10, and then they put 10 in parentheses <laughs> yes. in case like if somehow you're yeah. confused by that. Yeah. Business days of the date of this letter, you will leave us no choice but to file an appropriate action against Pepsi. Kristen. Yes. At this time, can you please tell us what a Harrier jet costs? $33.8 million. Yeah. Did you know that? I knew it was going to be well into the millions, yeah. So it's, And he found a loophole to try and get it for yes. $700,000. Yes. Yeah. We'll get more into why it is completely ridiculous. But, like, first of all, it's insanely expensive. Mm-hmm. Second of all... You can't afford to maintain it. No! It burns up gas. Where the fuck are you going to put it? Yes. In his backyard? Fuck right off. And P.S. It's for military use only. So civilians aren't even allowed to have it. Ugh. This guy's such a douche. So I know what you're thinking. Why did Pepsi advertise it? They did it! It's a (laughs) fucking joke! So that letter went out to Pepsi, and it also went out to the company that Pepsi hired to make that commercial. <laughs> the president of the ad company was <laughs> was pissed, and he wrote back basically saying, "Like, there's no way you actually thought no, you could get a no jet way. using Pepsi points. Our commercial was clearly a joke, and you knew it." But John was not a fan of joking, and neither were were his attorneys. So this thing went to court, and right away, Pepsi was like, yo, can we get a declaratory judgment? Because this is stupid, it's a giant waste of everyone's time. Yeah. And meanwhile, John's attorneys were like, "Um, we'd like for this lawsuit to take place in Florida. They sued Pepsi for breach of contract, fraud, deceptive and unfair trade practices, and misleading advertising. Why Florida? You know, because Florida court's crazy. <laughs> That's a good guess. <laughs> My guess is that John lived in Florida yeah. and his lawyers did, too. And they were just like, 
Yeah, come to us. Yeah. But the judge was like, that's nice, but I'm not sure what Florida has to do with this case. So, no. No. We're not doing this in Florida. (laughs) Obviously, this case never went to trial. But it dragged on way longer than you would think. Yeah. There were tons of different motions. There were arguments over jurisdiction. And eventually, John's attorneys made a motion to dismiss the case without prejudice. Mm -hmm. So dismissing a case without prejudice. That means case goes bye-bye, but not forever. Yeah. The without prejudice means that John can can be a douche and bring it back Back again. Mm -hmm. On December 15th, 1997, a judge granted John's motion. But... Only on the condition that he pay some of Pepsi's attorney's fees, which I think is totally fair yeah. because this was ridiculous. Yes. Roughly one ridiculous. year. Ridiculous. <laughs> roughly one year later, the court ordered John to pay $88,162 in attorney's fees. Yeah. Within 30 days. Okay. This may surprise you. He didn't have $88,000. <laughs> <laughs> He just had a shit ton of Pepsi points. Yeah, you think you had bad Pepsi points? <laughs> I've got seven million Pepsi points. <laughs> so, you know, John misses that deadline, and then he's like, um, hey, you know how I asked for that voluntary dismissal? Could we, like, undo that? Could we also just stop? Could we Could we not have me pay anything? Um, yeah. this is, I'm really getting in over my head here. And judge, I'd like to pay zero dollars. <laughs> And the judge was like, dude, either you pay what you owe or withdraw your request for dismissal and all the appeals you've filed since then, you giant dipshit, and let's keep <laughs> litigating this thing. Dipshit. Around this time, John got a new legal team, which I would love to know the full drama there. Yeah. Anyway, as this is going on, the story makes headlines. And finally, the U.S. government had no choice but to speak out. A spokesman for the Pentagon had to be like, hey, dum-dums, a Harrier jet is worth $33.8 yeah. million. Let's not even talk about maintenance. And plus, these are military aircraft. So basically what he said was, a member of the public cannot buy this. Yeah. And if by some miracle they did, we would have to demilitarize it, which means that it could no longer take off and land vertically. Yeah. And in order to undo that, the jet would be like the world's biggest paperweight. It yeah. could not fly. Yeah. You would have an in- insanely expensive jet that could not fly. Yeah. So this poor spokesman had to tell the media, <laughs> yes, we are monitoring this legal battle between Pepsi and that dum-dum, but even if for some reason Pepsi loses, that kid's not getting a Harrier jet. You can't have one! <laughs> Veruca! Veruca? Oh, Kristen. What? What? You never seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Veruca Salt wants everything. She wants it now. Yeah, turns into a blueberry. No. I gotcha. That's a different one. Violet Beauregard turns into a blueberry. Oh, well, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Listen, there were a lot of brats in that film. Veruca Salt goes down the bad egg chute because she wants a golden goose that lays the golden egg. And... (laughs) Anyway, I guess you've never seen Willy Wonka. No, I have. It's just been a long time. We watched it in elementary school. Mm, We probably did. In the library in fifth grade. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that might check out. Yeah, it does check out. <laughs> Around the same time that this Pepsi yeah, commercial aired. Yeah. Anyway, she wants a party. And she wants it now. <laughs> Wait, your anyway is to go back to Charlie? <laughs> Okay, let me try this. Anyway, back to my case. <laughs> so meanwhile, anyway, Pat- so she her dad buys her everything. <laughs> and it just creates a real mess is of entitlement, you know. Charlie turns out to be the good one. Yeah, he, even though he stole the fizzy lifting drink. Spoiler alert. He gets the factory. Man, spoilers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You know what my favorite thing is? If you haven't seen Willy Wonka by now, it came out 40 years ago, so. (laughs) My favorite thing is when Norman does a video on a game that's like 30 years old. (laughs) And people are like, whoa, spoilers! Spoilers! My favorite thing to say when people complain about spoilers Uh is to say, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. It's not a spoiler if you don't give the context. Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Pepsi continued to run the ad, but they changed it so that the Harrier jet was now available for 700 million points. Mm. So that, you know, even people who were s- super dumb, like, mm, yeah, I, I don't know. Can't they just put, like, tiny font that says no no you cannot cave to people like this you're right it's no, so it's ridiculous so stupid. It, it drives me crazy it's like so ridiculous with someone like this who clearly he saw this commercial and thought this was his payday yeah like kick him to the curb the ridiculous f- oh it makes me so mad i know i know what a fucking douche finally on February 22nd, 1999, after three years of jurisdictional and procedural bullshit, John's attorneys agreed, okay, the U.S. District Court of the, for the Southern District of New York has jurisdiction. I imagine that was probably decided for them. They didn't have to agree yeah. to it. And Pepsi's attorneys agreed that they wouldn't go after John the dipshit for their fees. Yeah. At this point, Pepsi just wanted their summary judgment. They wanted this thing over with. Who do you think the judge sided with? Uh, Pepsi. Okay, shockingly, no. What? I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Kristen, I about blew a blood vessel on that. <laughs> I can't believe you believed that. You really thought I that. did. <laughs> no, don't don't act like you can't believe I believe that. I am a trusting person. You tell me something, I believe it. See, no, I feel like lately in our episodes, like, there was a while when I would trick you, try to trick you in, like, every episode, and then you got a little too wise for Uh me, so then I had to dial back, and now here I am, going, going... Balls to the wall. Bag of balls, three balls, (laughs) one bag, no no rules. rules. (laughs) What would you do with that bag? (laughs) I think that's my business. (laughs) And I don't have to tell you shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Judge Kimba Wood sided with Pepsi. She granted them their motion for summary judgment on the grounds that, breaking news, the Pepsi Stuff commercial was not a genuine offering of what they were selling. No fucking shit. And that no reasonable person could have watched that commercial and believed that Pepsi was actually selling a Harrier jet. I'm going to include a quote because I think it's great. <laughs> Excellent. She wrote, The callow youth featured in the commercial is a highly improbable pilot, one who could barely be trusted with the keys to his parents' car, much less the prize aircraft of the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> so true. So, you may be thinking that we're done here. Yeah. You may be thinking... What more is there to this case? Yeah. Uh, John appealed. Of course he did, because he's a super douche. But he's super lost. Good. And that's the story of the Pepsi Points case. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was so good. Oh, it's so fun. I know that one was a little short, but no, it was I just loved like, it. it's so, so insane. And you know what? There was no coagulated blood jelly. Oh, God. <laughs> That made me, like, seriously, I was like... Kristen, no one died in my case. You want a cookie? I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm just going to just randomly say coagulated blood jelly. Oh. It's your face when I say it. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Do you have show notes? I do. do. Oh, okay, go ahead. I do have show notes. Um, I have a very special recognition that we want to do. <gasps> yes, we do. Okay. Connor and Adam, who we love, mm -hmm. they have sent tons of case recommendations for us. They were recommended a whole Boston series, which Kristen kind of started on. Um, which I kept from you, as I always uh, do. Yeah, she hoarded it. But they, Adam recommended the Clark Rockefeller case and then a couple of other Boston cases. I'm sorry, I have not actually seen that fucking email because Kristen hoarded it. Well, there's a lot of explicit stuff in there, Brandy. You can't <laughs> They also, it. like, filmed this, this really cute video yes. of them listening to... An episode that they were mentioned on? Was yes. it the Rockefeller one or was it something else? I don't remember. I just remember it made us so oh, happy we to loved see it. We watched yeah. it like eight million times. Anyway, 
June 29th was Adam's birthday, so we want to tell him happy birthday. Happy birthday, Adam. And then also, July 15th is their wedding anniversary. So, happy happy anniversary, anniversary, guys. Thank you for listening to the show. We love you guys so much. And happy birthday. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's so so cute. I love it. What show notes do you have, Kristen? Well, we have questions from a while ago Ooh. on Patreon. So I figured if we wanted to, we could go through a few of those questions. Let's do some you questions. Don't? Okay. I also had me kicking the dog in the face on my show notes, but we've already discussed that. You monster. You know I'm not going to be able to sleep if you don't admit that that dog forgave me afterwards. Oh, okay. So here's here's what happened. We were so excited to see the dog. The dog was super cute. We walked up to it. Brandy lightly kicked it in the face, was horrified, and the dog was a little stunned, but then immediately wanted Brandy to pet him. Yeah. So, like, he was fine. He totally forgave me. It was cool. The dog owner later reached out to me and asked for counsel. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. I've got, I've got a few questions. Okay. So, Jenny Black asks... Are there any other true crime podcasts that you listen to? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely there are. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) And if you think we're going to advertise for someone else. No. Okay. I'll tell you one that I am like obsessed with. So, you know, we got on Patreon, obviously. And I noticed that a lot of people who are on our Patreon, like they... They just support us. But there's also like this subgroup of people who support us and this podcast called True Crime Obsessed. Yeah. So I was like, huh, I've never heard of them. So I looked them up. I thought it was really funny. Their reviews are shockingly are- similar to ours. <laughs> so their reviews are overwhelmingly positive. But every now and then they get a negative one that's like, I can't stand one of the hosts laugh. I hate his laugh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I listened to them. I feel like he and I need to be friends. (laughs) They are hilarious. They're two friends who basically watch a documentary, a true crime documentary, and then they just tear it apart. I discovered them. This is embarrassing. I discovered them like a week ago. And, you know, I painted my kitchen. So I had just hours to kill. And I listened to like everything they've ever done. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Um... I really enjoy, like, serialized ones. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've listened to Dr. Death, Dirty John, Teacher's Pet, Up and Vanished. I really enjoyed all of those. Mm-hmm. And then, I can't believe we've never mentioned this. Like, we have to mention the podcast that started this whole thing yes. for us. Yes. My, My Favorite, favorite murder. murder. Yes. Yes. Should we talk about that a little? Yeah. So... My sister is the one who gets me into all things. And so she got me into My Favorite Murder a long, long time ago. A long time ago, yes. And I remember, so I was with you getting, you were doing my hair. Yeah. And I was like, you have got to listen to this podcast called My Favorite Murder. And I remember I told you, it's like if we had a podcast, but if we were funnier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so then, like... You got super into it. Yeah. Then we went to their live show in Kansas City. Yeah. And there was just something about it, not to sound like 
But we're like, we could, we could do this. Yeah, but it, it made we it seem to do it attainable. Different, and like, a, we wanted to do our own take on it. Yeah. So like, we focus on the trial side of things. And if you'll notice, there was no murder this episode. That's right. Although that Harrier jet thing is just as upsetting as a murder, really. Well, and coagulated blood jelly. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we do. Yes, we, we love do. true crime yes. podcasts. Yeah. And uh, not true crime, but um, armchair expert by Dak Shepard. Oh, God. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that (laughs) recently. Um, Jana asks, any alternative titles you had in mind for the podcast? No. I can't. Yeah, I can't. I'm sure we had. Really, Norm named the podcast. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Norm, I don't know. Well, if anyone's ever seen him do uh, a live show. At a at a convention or whatever, he will usually do a Jeopardy game. Yeah, and he has all these different categories, and one of them is for video game lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And he named the category "Let's Go to Court" with an yeah. exclamation point. And he noticed that every time he read that category name, people just laughed. It, there yeah. was just something about it that seemed funny. Yeah, and so when we, we came up with this idea, him. we were like. Bye. Thank yeah. you. And he that is why he claims he owns 50% of this podcast. And we can't argue at all. <laughs> Ooh, this this might be a good one. Shanna asks, I'm curious, what is your favorite story you have of each other? Like when you meet someone and tell them about your friend, what stories do you think of? Ooh, gosh. I know, right? Ooh. Do you have one that comes to mind immediately? I mean, I do, but I don't know why it just like always comes to mind. Okay. It was when we were teepeeing houses in middle school. And like I, I peed my pants? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> okay, but this is the best story though. <laughs> Are you okay with saying that? Yeah, I'll fucking tell it. What the fuck do I care? We were what, 15? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was like our yeah, so first... so it wasn't middle school. It wasn't. No, it was yeah. high school. Okay. It was high school. We were, I think we were freshmen in high school. Yeah, yeah. So we weren't, I wasn't 15. I would have been 14. Okay, well, anyway. It doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> we were teepeeing our friend David's house. Uh-huh. Um, so they were having, all the boys were having a sleepover at David's house, and we were having a girl sleepover at Laura's house, our friend Laura's house. And so they lived fairly close to each other. Yeah. And so we snuck out of Laura's house <sighs> and walked to David's house. <laughs> And we were teeping him, and we had to be so quiet because we could literally see where the boys were sleeping. Yes. And I needed to laugh so badly, and I couldn't uh-huh. because we had to be quiet. And I it became a choice where I could either hold in my pee <laughs> or hold in my laughter, and the pee had to go, and I peed my pants. Do you remember what set you off? No. Okay, let me tell you what's <laughs> oh, true when you threw the whole roll. So it was our first time TPing. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that you're supposed to like uh, kind of hold the tail a little in with one hand. You and then just with the other the roll in the tree. So I threw I threw the entire roll in the tree. It stuck there immediately. And you had been like we'd been shushing you like the whole night trying to keep you from laughing. And man, when I threw that thing up there and it just stuck, you died. That's when you lost control. I did. You lost control. Peed right in my pants. And then we had to walk home with my pee pants. I had to pee pants walk home. 
I'm sorry. Okay. I hope I'm sorry. Oh no! Oh no! What is it? Okay. I don't know. We must have been about the same age when we were spending the night at Jessica's house. Okay. But we had started at her dad's house, but we were actually going to spend the night at her mom's house. <laughs> oh, God. I'm I'm cringing already. What is this? And they lived fairly close to each other, but not super close. But we couldn't... Like, something happened, and we weren't coordinating a ride very well. And so I think what had happened is we had been swimming at the pool at her dad's house. That and then sounds we were right. going to go okay. to her mom's house. Okay. But something happened with our ride, and it didn't get coordinated right. And so we were just like, we'll just walk. And it was... I don't know, a couple miles probably. And so (laughs) at the time, (laughs) platform flip flops were (laughs) very popular. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So we (laughs) had on these like huge, huge platform flip flops. I believe they were cream colored and had some kind of like wicker bottom on them. That sounds right. I remember those. And so we are walking along 83rd Street, which is like... A pretty busy it's street. It's a busy street, and it's pretty hilly. And you got your platform <sighs> flip up on something, and you totally wiped out. <laughs> you, like, blew out your hooker shoe. flip-flop here's the thing with shooting up to five foot nine when you're like 12 (laughs) you're like a giraffe (laughs) falling down every minute oh my god you know what what's funny about shanna's question her question seems more heartfelt but i told the story on you about peeing your pants (laughs) you told me what about me falling out of a hooker shoe uh let's see should we do one more? Yeah. Okay, this one's a special one for Brandy. Ooh. Kristen asks, So happy Brandy met a man that can handle and appreciate her awesomeness. I'm dying to know how you met David. Ooh. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This is actually kind of a good story. Yeah, so have you heard of Craigslist? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I had been with my ex since I was 18. Mm-hmm. I never dated or anything. And so at some point I decided like I was ready to like go on some dates, but I was totally just going to be super casual and just go on like a bunch of dates mm-hmm. and just like mm-hmm. meet a bunch yeah, of people. Yeah, what, what, what were you going to do? Brandy? And have fun. Uh-huh. Just meet a bunch of people and have fun, Kristen. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember this very well. You uh-huh. calm down over there. <laughs> And so I made a Tinder profile. I had never, I had never done a dating app. I'd never dated. And so I downloaded Tinder and I put in my profile two things that I really think made me stand out from the crowd. (laughs) First of all, I said, I'm 32, but I've been told I could pass for 31, which is a real thing that someone (laughs) told me and I was deeply insulted by, but I find kind of hilarious. Um, The person who told me that is 18, so... There you go. <laughs> um, and then the second thing I put was that I was looking for someone to kill spiders for me. And that's true. That is 100% true. As 
demonstrated on the yeah episode about the spiders. I hate spiders. Anyway, so I get on Tinder and it's a scary place. <laughs> dick pics galore. Oh man, so just unsolicited dick pics and it was scary. So I was on there for two days. You guys, Brandy played the field so hard. You shut up. <laughs> I on the second day that I was on Tinder, I matched with David. Mm-hmm. And so we match. So you swipe, and if you both swipe on each other, it's a match. And then you got you can choose to message each other. You cannot message each other until you've matched. But you don't have to message. And so that happens a lot. You swipe and you match with someone and then nothing ever happens. So I swiped on David. And we matched and he messaged me like right away. Mm -hmm. And I had matched with a couple of other people who had been like, hey, you've got beautiful eyes. Wow. Hey, gorgeous. Like just stupid opening lines. And David said something about. Here's the good news. I'm not afraid of spiders at all. I'm happy to kill them. And I was like. He read my profile. He read my profile. Yeah. Like, he put some thought into this opening line. And so we started messaging. And, like, we messaged on the app for, like, a whole day before I gave him my phone number and let him text me. And then that night, like, I gave him my phone number and he called me and we talked on the phone for, like, four hours and it felt like five minutes. And that was, like, three months ago. And it's going really great. <laughs> He's awesome. It's a really amazing guy. And um, yeah, I'm really, really happy. You guys should see how happy she looks right <laughs> oh my now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> she looks as happy as someone who just won a Pepsi leather jacket. <laughs> no, he's a wonderful guy. He's really amazing. Yeah. He's really, really amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried so hard to talk myself out of it. And him, I was like, uh, I'm still like, I'm totally going to keep it cash, Kristen. Don't uh-huh. you worry. Yeah, you, okay. You would not believe the number of times. Well, you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm just out here playing the field, really, for these two days. And <laughs> I even had a conversation with him, like, after a couple days where I was like, hey, I just want to be really clear with my intentions here. Like, just so that you know, like. That I'm, I'm really cool. I'm, like, totally playing, like, I'm super cash, right? And he's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, I'm just telling you, I'm just not really, like, looking for anything serious. And just, like, as long as you're okay with that. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, some people aren't the play in the field type, Brandy. It's definitely not me. Yeah. <laughs> those questions I those, know, were those, so were great. Yeah. those were great I love that uh do we have inductions to do uh Brandy whatever could you mean so if you don't know by now we've launched our Patreon and when you sign up at the well you can there's three levels you can sign up at there is the district court level the appellate court level and the supreme court and so when you sign up at the supreme court level we induct you into the supreme court and so i think it's time Kristen, okay to okay. do our induction everyone please silence your cell phones <clears throat> and rise <laughs> Stood up 
I'm picturing a lot of people at work right now. <laughs> this week's inductees into the Supreme Court. Kirsten Jenkins. Coffee. Just oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> We're saying their names and their favorite, favorite ice cream <laughs> flavors. <laughs> you know, like all good inductions. <laughs> Kirsten Jenkins. Coffee. Jessica M. Mint chocolate chip. Stacy Cassidy. Cappuccino chocolate chunk. Virginia Peters Schultz. Chocolate with as much nuts and chunks and whatnot mixed in as possible. <laughs> Shanna Picora. Oh, I think I mispronounced her name earlier. I think you mispronounced Kirsten's name earlier, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, I did. I'm pretty sure you call her Kristen. <laughs> That's egotistical. <laughs> you asshole. Moose tracks or chocolate chip cookie dough. Jalen Capacious. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Mari. Oh no! Ice cream flavor. Oh no! I must have. I must have erased her ice cream flavor. Okay. Oh, when we love Mari. Here is the thing that we have to... Okay, I'm sorry, Mari. We cannot talk about your favorite ice cream flavor because Kristen fucked up. (laughs) But can we just talk about for a moment how excited we were to learn how you pronounce your name? Yes. Because Mari is a frequent commenter on our social media. And every time we, we like, talk about... Like, she's also... She is not just a frequent commenter. She makes the most hilarious comments. Yeah, And so when Kristen and I talk about them, like, we'll screenshot them and send them back and forth to each other. We're like... That lady we like. (laughs) So... Mari, we are so excited to learn how you pronounce your name. And I wish we knew. And we're going to assume that you like vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) Ookla. Rocky Road. But only dryers with the actual mini marshmallows. None of that marshmallow swirl crap. Denise. Chocolate peanut butter. Nikki. Strawberry. Mike, our favorite patron, Pickering. And he wrote, It's a weird name, but I swear it's real. Chocolate Brownie from Thrifty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was good. That was really good. If you would like to be inducted on a future episode, be sure to head on over to our Patreon and join at the... Did I say Patreon? You sure did. I was going to let it slide because it's getting late. (laughs) Patreon and join at the Supreme Court level. And then while you're on your computer, you know, head on over to our social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. We're on Reddit. Hey, put some pep in your step, lady. It's an exciting place. And then um, please head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. And uh, once you've done all of that, if you're not, you know, too worn out and tired, then be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast Podcast adjourned. adjourned. 
And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the court cases, CNN.com, Snopes.com, and the commercial itself which is on YouTube. And I got my info from an amazing article in The Washingtonian by Jason Fagone, as well as an article for NBC Washington. It's an interesting way to say Jason. What did I say? Jason Fagone. <laughs> I did not! Huh? Jason Fagone! Do I need to re-say it? No, I think you're good. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. Jason Fagone. (laughs) You don't have to read your own article, Jason. (laughs) As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.